just like the morons in this arena and all of the internet wrestling experts who thought it was such a disgrace to put the WCW World Heavyweight title on Mr. David Arquette. Is he all right? Sorry, Paige. I really am sorry. Canyon. Oh, damn, sorry. But you should know better than to trust someone from Hollywood. What's up? It's a slot jam. Oh. Welcome to day number five in the unbelievable title reign of new world champion David Arquette. The Yappa Pioneer. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, how are we doing? It is a kind of a sad day. We have to say goodbye to one of our dear friends. David Arquette is making his final natural appearance with us this week. Oh, I I thought you were talking about Big T because, uh, you know, I have been burning several candles (laughs) and and pouring out uh, (laughs) some some milk on the corner for for Brother Big T. But uh, no, other than the sadness, Brother Man, it it is always great to be back for another installment of the universe's favorite interracial cross-generational pop culture pro wrestling show dedicated to the genius of Vince Russo. And another thing that's got me excited this week, Brian, is I've just been reading some of the feedback up here on the satellite of hate and, uh, seems the people are digging the show, man. We, we've got a lot of, uh, people engaging with us and people that are actually going along with us in this experiment and watching these episodes of Nitro. And some people are even expanding the experiment to ridiculous degrees by watching thunder and watching pay-per-views. Uh, so, uh, good on you for that. Uh, People have gone so, so far as to call us heroes, Brian, but I, I don't believe that. You know, please don't call us heroes, people. We're legends. I feel more like a villain because this is maybe an anti-hero. Already, We're like a Dirty Harry. Well, already I feel like this experiment is maybe affecting my personal relationships just in the day-to-day life. Uh, wanting to slip in references to WCW, I, I can only seem to tweet jokes about w- it's 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 really affecting my brain and i feel bad that this sickness is now spreading to people that aren't in our general vicinity and they're now via the internet we've spread this virus to them i mean if if you're going to have to suffer brian man if we're going to have to suffer i think that uh, granted it's a cliche but just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it's not true uh misery loves company so i think the more the merrier we are all going down this uh this path together, uh, and we'll we'll see where it ends up. But uh, yeah, this is a this is a, a, a good week, man. I, I'm still experiencing. I would you call it the Arquette afterglow? Uh, the these <laughs> past couple of episodes we've been watching, so I'm, I'm in a good place this week. 
Well, you mentioned it, the more the merrier, and what do you say? Let's go ahead and bring in our guests. I, I agree. I cannot wait to see our test subjects this week. They, they're waiting uh, in their pods, and so let's uh, release them and uh, release this week's review on the people. And joining us this week are two men who, who simply need no introduction, so let's just bring them in. It is OSW's Jay Hunter and V1. How are we, guys? Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I have a joke for you. Yes. Why did the pervert cross the road? Ooh, I don't know. He couldn't get his knob out of the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> Man, now I'm having flashbacks to Terry Funk's hardcore matches where he's got his fist inside the chicken. And then it's a lot of bad memories you're bringing up, fellas. That was just foreplay. That's all that was, Nate. <laughs> Well, Brian, I'm ashamed of you. I'm ashamed you didn't uh, you didn't greet our our guests in the proper fashion. You know, in in the in the style of the time. Uh, you know, this is a period piece, if you will. So, uh, Jay and, and V, uh, I just have to welcome you to the satellite of hate by saying, "What's up?" <laughs> it really is to keep it two thousand. We yeah, we have just jumped back in time seventeen years, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I mean, really, we couldn't find anyone better to come on this show because both <laughs> of you guys couldn't find anyone else to do. We couldn't find anybody else. No, because you guys actually like you've already you watched the whole David Arquette era for OSW review, so we don't have to catch you up. We don't have to fill you in on what's going on. I guess just thumbs up, thumbs down. What are your thoughts on David Arquette as world champion? That's a loaded question, Brian. Um, <laughs> from <laughs> from a personal point of view it's just two huge thumbs up uh you know i i wasn't watching this as it happened because in ireland we didn't actually get wcw so you know like i kind of watched it kind of 15 years later and uh i thought it was awesome i loved every second of it it was (laughs) terrible for business and it killed the company but you know who cares about that because it's all about me. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not personally footing the bill, exactly. I think spend as much money as you can. 60 odd million. Eh. I got we've been fans of the David Arquette experiment actually and he he actually goes above and beyond on this week's episode as a heel. I I why this guy wasn't a heel the entire time. But how did you guys feel about him as a babyface for the episodes that you watched? Good. <laughs> He can tell that he's a massive wrestling fan, and that's just awesome to watch. Um, And he has a decent splash as well, so, you know, that's two things. And he has some of the best ring gear you'll ever see. It's glorious. He must have spent some of that Hollywood money on it. WCW as a whole, were you guys watching in the year 2000 at all, or were you strictly a WWF fan at that time? It wasn't by choice, so you just didn't have the channels. Uh, I think after Cartoon Network, it turned on to TNT, but only if you had Sky Cable, which I never had, so no. So the only uh, WCW um, action that I got is actually my brother would go to the States and he'd record Nitro, a couple of Nitros on VHS, and I'd go home and he'd come home and I'd get them converted to American PAL VHS. And that was great because it was like Hollywood Hogan 97 and Sting, that kind of thing. (laughs) And then actually towards the end of WCW's lifetime, they started getting VHS tapes um, just in like HMV and that. And it was all 2000. It was all Super Brawl, Slambery. So I actually bought this on pay-per-view back in 2000. Awesome. (laughs) Please tell me he was making those trips to America just to tape Nitro. That was the only thing bringing him over. (laughs) You can't prove otherwise. (laughs) 
<laughs> it sounds like a, like there was more work involved in the process of, of converting that footage than Vince Russo put into this entire episode tonight. Oh, man. Vince Russo, what a guy. What a man. What a boy. <laughs> now, before we get into the episode, we're just setting the stage here for the year 2000. Now, since you guys are coming across the pond uh, to join us this week, I figured we would go ahead and take a look at what was topping the Irish charts. And, Nate... I've never heard of this song. I don't know if you have. You guys are probably going to have to fill us in. But the number one song in Ireland the day of this Nitro was Mark McCabe's Maniac 2000. Oh, oh. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, Groundskeeper Willie in The Simpsons, I think he did a rendition on that when he, he kind of hepped up on goofballs and he was doing, I'm a maniac, maniac, and he, with his bagpipes. I'm a maniac, maniac, that's for sure, and I'm dancing like I've never danced before. Yeah! That's the stuff. Yeah, so this uh, song is... Um it's some like you know kind of local uh rave dj guy and he took that song you know i'm a maniac maniac and just added like thumps over it and uh (laughs) really fast beats the music of the knackers yeah and people over here just ate it up they bought it in their dozens (laughs) yeah i was gonna say tens (laughs) because i don't think it takes much to top the charts in ireland but yeah, that song is huge over here. You're always guaranteed to, to like hear it at any kind of party or, or a wedding or a bit something of, like that. A bit of Cotton Eye Joe as well, I think. <laughs> it won't go away. It won't leave our shores. <laughs> oh, see, now, 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 now I'm with you guys. Because I, I remember, I don't remember Maniac 2000, but I surely remember Cotton Eye Joe by the great band The Rednecks with an X, I believe. <laughs> It was the 90s. It most certainly was. It's definitely, you know, like a sign of the times when you're putting (laughs) random X's and things. Well, guys, uh, much like this episode of Nitro, this podcast is pretty overbooked. So let's go ahead and just jump into this episode of Nitro. (laughs) Rock and roll. Let's do it to it. Grammar, that is. Our show starts with a jam-packed recap of a jam-packed slambery. David Flair turned heel on his father. Mike Awesome threw Kanan off of a cage, and Arquette turned heel on DDP. I did not watch Slamboree, but I love this recap for one reason and one reason only. The the track they had underneath was like a Jimmy Hart version of that Prodigy song, and I dug it. Hmm. It was like a Jimmy Hart does uh, Smack My Bitch Up by way of Casio <laughs> 2000. <laughs> Nice. We have six bucks. Get it done. <laughs> sounds sounds expensive. Uh, Slambury, yeah, Jesus. We we watched a show a couple of years ago. It's it's most definitely like a jam packed show. Um, you know, like because we didn't watch WCW, uh, I, I wasn't ready for how much they they'd cram into you know like a two or three hour show. Um, I seem to remember. I think uh, the opening match in the show was the artist. Uh, oh boy, and Chris Candido. Yeah, yeah, yep. And uh, oh my god, he was horrific. <laughs> Wait, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the artist. Oh, he's just awful. I love the Jerry Seinfeld poofy shirt, though. That's good stuff. <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> 
what else is so crazy is that they didn't show this on this Nitro. They didn't even mention it, but on the previous Thunder, there had been a massive battle royal involving the entire roster that included the return of Randy Savage, who was also making his final appearance for the company, and Ric Flair won a world title shot for the next pay-per-view. None of this was mentioned on this episode. That, that blows my mind. None of it matters when you, when you have David Arquette coming up. <laughs> like, this guy is a megastar. So the show proper starts in a hospital with DDP at Canyon's bedside. Eric Bischoff and the New Blood enter the, the room and give their condolences, but Paige just attacks Bischoff. Mike Awesome, <laughs> Ernest Miller, and Jeff Jarrett then beat the shit out of him. With DDP knocked out, Kimberly empties Canyon's bedpan onto her estranged husband. Mm. I thought everyone was really good here, and this might have been the high point, or one of the high points of the show for me. <laughs> I, I want to start out by, by throwing a flag on the play, Brian, man, because... <laughs> This is wrestling, and, and of course, as fans, we we are known to you know suspend our, our, our disbelief at times, and and I can do that. I can believe that you know Vampiro is this otherworldly figure. I can believe that Hulk Hogan and Terry Bollea are two separate individuals. But if you've got a small hospital room, and the entirety, or at least a third of the New Blood, is behind a curtain. Do you expect me not to notice? Like, they show up with, with Batman-like precision. Like, nobody noticed the shadows or the feet. There wasn't a door on that side of the room, so how do they get in here without DDP seeing? Even if they got in, even if they got in before DDP came into the room, you know, maybe he went out <laughs> to get a snack or something. Maybe he went to get a surge. He came back. Wouldn't you notice, like, four sets or, or five sets of uh, shoes underneath <laughs> the curtain? No, of course not. It's wrestling. Kayfabe. Oh, it's like those old video games where you move slightly off screen and then it hasn't rendered yet. <laughs> I just saw some gold-plated, uh, gold lame shoes. I, I, who was I to know that that was Ernest the Cat Miller? <laughs> uh, I actually couldn't just get over this uh, kind of, you know, like top heel group. And you're telling me that the people that you're going to send are Mike Awesome, <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller... And Jeff Jarrett, who is awesome, by the way. But, you know, uh, it's not really the, the world's greatest faction here. No, I would say Kimberly probably had the most heat on her out of everyone that was in this group. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Actually, oh my god, she's amazing. I love the fake crying that Bischoff does. He's like, ah, oh, making kids crap, bruh. <laughs> and then DDP has none of it, so he just back elbows him in the face. It's awesome. <laughs> So back at the arena, the New Blood and their associates arrive in a tour bus. Ric Flair exits, followed by Hulk Hogan, Chronic, and Horace Hogan. Welcome inside of the TWA job, Tony Schiavone, Mark Madden, and Scott Hardway Hudson. Tony welcomes us to St. Louis as Eric Bischoff makes his way to the ring with Mike Awesome, Ernest Miller, David Arquette, Jeff Jarrett, and Kimberly. David Arquette is... Wow. He just... I don't know how to describe what he's wearing. Uh, if you thought his baby face outfit was loud, this suit was deafening. I just looked at him, and the first thing I thought of was a uh, fat frog, <laughs> which is, which is uh, this this um, uh, ice pop that uh, you used to be able to buy in Ireland back in the 90s. It was shaped like a frog. Yes, it was a big, giant, luminous green frog, and it was awesome. A frog just that like, stands. Just like this guy. He's amazing. What flavor was it, Stephen? I think it's lemon and lime. Yeah, yeah, not great, you know. But you're buying it for the frog. So Bischoff explains that everything with Arquette was a swerve, including DDP winning the title two weeks ago, just so they could screw him out of the title. <laughs> it's brilliant. I, I, <laughs> some of the best logic I've ever seen in wrestling. 
Arquette gets the mic and cuts, honestly, just an incredible heel promo. When I was on the set of Ready to Rumble with Paige, I told him that I had a dream to be a wrestler. And he said, Shad! He said, you get hurt, but guess what? You got hurt, Paige. Ah. I don't think he's had his medication. I got one thing to say to you. I was the heavyweight champion of the world. Thanks to my buddy, Eric Bischoff. The king. EJE, baby. What an actor. Put that in your corn pipe and smoke it. Where has this guy been for the entire last month? He, oh my god. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was off his tits. On the, and he'll actually admit it as well. Like, uh, this is amazing. We kick off with the main event of Nitro. <laughs> the main event of the year 2000. This is it. Because uh, you can see he's having so much fun playing a heel and being a wrestler. And he's just like, shut up. And it's like, did you enjoy me saying shut up? Shut up. <laughs> he's like one part Andy Kaufman and then like three parts David Lee Roth. And he's just like... <laughs> charismatic and unintelligible at the same time he's having the time of his life out there and that's what makes it even better you know you can just tell that this is like the best day that he's ever had i love how eric bischoff gives out about wrestling fans shitting on arquette having the belt as well yeah it's like i proved you wrong didn't i (laughs) (laughs) yeah wait a year eric let's see let's see how this promo ages Backstage, DDP is shown driving into the arena. DDP runs down and throws everyone out of the ring except for Arquette, who gets hit with a diamond cutter. DDP is then laid out by Jarrett, Awesome, and Miller. Sting then runs down, which brings out Douglas and Bagwell, and then Chronic after them. And the segment ends with DDP, Sting, and Chronic standing tall. As this all ends, I think, I mean, this is the last we're going to see of David Arquette. Surprise, surprise, we're all giving this a big thumbs up. I think we can all tell that he loves wrestling and he wanted to do what he could with the power that he has being a celebrity to try and make WCW and wrestling better. So, you know, I think I think hopefully most fans will kind of come around to that. Mm. And, you know, if WCW had, you know, called me and said, Steve, <laughs> we, we think you're awesome and we want to put the belt on you. It's like, there's no way you'd ever turn it down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, yeah, give it to me. This is the greatest moment ever. I'm going to milk this for everything. And I don't blame him. But he was great, you know. He never drew a dime like Jeff Jarrett, but, you know, he's good. <laughs> and he still shows up at WWE events with the WCW belt as well. It's awesome. This was really strong. Like, I, I think... It's all downhill from here. Like, we, we reached the apex in, in the first five minutes of the show. And first of all, you got our kid out there, you know, with his, with his uh, suburban pimp outfit. Uh, that, that's how I'll call it. Uh, and just the way, just the simple lines that, that shouldn't make me react, especially now in 2017, watching, watching his back. But the, the, like the, I'm from Hollywood because I'm better than you. Like, you know what? <laughs> That that still that still hits David Arquette. That's still that's still a banger. Uh, so I, I, I enjoyed the segment. I love the uh, even at the start of the segment where we see the uh, Millionaires Club get out of the RV because that's like a whole nother side story that I want to di- dive into on one of these nitros coming up. Like what do they do during the week that they're not 
at Nitro? Like, are they just traveling <laughs> around? Luger always needs to stop to take piss breaks. Like, like, how is that life on the Millionaire's RV? Uh, but, but in terms of setting up this story of, of DDP and, and, and uh, trying to fight Bischoff and Kimberly, I'm not looking forward to where it goes without Arquette, but I really enjoyed uh, the, the champs' uh, involvement in this segment tonight. Back from break, Mean Gene is backstage with Bischoff, Jarrett, and Mike Awesome. Eric announces that Paige and Awesome will have a stretcher match later tonight. Not just that, but Jeff Jarrett will defend the world heavyweight title against Sting, a decision which pisses off Jarrett. Easy, easy. The world title, easy, easy. It'll be fine. Talking about me tonight. The world title on the line. Things are going to be just great in our little movie. Elsewhere backstage, Norman Smiley gives Ralphus a pep talk. Smiley explains that if he and Ralphus lose tonight, Bischoff will fire them. So this brings us to our opening contest, and it is a slamboree rematch that nobody wanted. <laughs> Terry Funk defending the hardcore title against Norman Smiley and Ralphus. Nate, before Russo came in, it was the hot cruiserweight opener, and now it's the shit comedy hardcore match that begins every Nitro now. I fucking hate these. Yeah, with, with Terry, like, I've said for weeks how, how Terry Funk at this stage of the game makes me sad, and then how they're using Norman Smiley uh, makes me sad because there's a lot more that could be done with, with, with Norman. And then you throw in Ralphus, who I, I love Ralphus with Jericho. It worked. It clicked. But it worked because Jericho was this pompous, self-obsessed star. And so it doesn't work when you've got Norman. Like, you've got two sad sacks now. And one with a clearly visible ass crack, which I don't need to see. Uh, <laughs> twice, not, not in, not in, not, Yeah, twice. Not in 2000, not in 2017, not ever. So this whole opening segment just, like, other than the part where Norman gets in a cart, nothing worked for me here. Sorry, did he, did he actually grab two bottles of water when he was in the cart? Like, did he go to the concession stand driver? <laughs> yes. That is awesome. What a spot. <laughs> Grabbed two bottles of water, threw one at Funk, and drank the other one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so uh, as Nate just alluded to, this was just all brawling around the ring. They at one point get backstage and they find a golf cart and Smiley tries to drive away despite the fact that we established that he's going to get fired if he loses this match. They, they spend the entire time on commentary recounting Beyond the Mat and how Terry Funk just has no more knees anymore. They're completely shot. Yet Terry Funk is able to chase down this golf cart and jump onto the back of it. They then <laughs> smash into some milk crates. They brawl some more. They end up in a kitchen and they start hitting each other with cookie sheets. Hudson informs us that these are industrial strength cookie sheets, which aren't a thing that I'm aware of even existing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Those are industrial strength cookie sheets. This isn't some sort of a high plate war. Ralph's ass crack is on full display, <laughs> which Madden identifies as the wrong kind of cleavage. Funk hits both Smiley and Ralphus with a cookie sheet and pins both of them for the win. This was absolute shit, and according to the storyline, Norman and Ralphus are going to get fired, but of course we know that they're not going to stick to that. Yeah, um, this match was awful. Uh, <laughs> there is there's nothing good. Um, the, the only thing that I thought was anywhere even near good was uh, Norman driving around in the golf cart just screaming. Um, that's a that's a good gimmick. He's that's got an awesome funny. scream. The Wilhelm screams like ah, yeah, ah, it's awesome. It's like that. No one else does that. I was just going to ask you guys, um, Ralphus, what's his gimmick? Like you know, I don't know this guy, <laughs> and I don't know what he does 
other than getting his arse out. Well, he was like uh, he was Jericho's bodyguard the year uh, two years before, I guess, and he was just he was just a truck driver for WCW that I guess Jericho thought looked funny. So the idea was that he was going to be his bodyguard, his heavy uh, during matches, and he had been on TV for what Nate like a year, year and a half, and I guess Russo just thought he was such a funny character that he wanted to bring him in here and attach him to Norman Smiley. Yeah, like Ralphus was with Jericho. Like I was saying, it was the phys- the visual aesthetic of Ralph is standing next to Jericho, but also that he was supposed to be this bodyguard, this minion, but he was utterly worthless. And and people are actually in the Ralphus at that time, mainly due to, you know, Jericho doing some great comedic work. But here it didn't work for me because I think the joke only works if you've got the pompous guy and the sad sack. When there's two sad sacks, it's just, you know, it's it's not comedy anymore. It's tragedy. Then it's just actually sad. I'm sure, like, Ralph has made, like, 500 grand a year <laughs> as an on-screen talent. Like, he must have been money because WWF, you know, paired Fink with Jericho uh, to do the Ralph's gimmick. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it must have been awesome. And seeing Screaming Norman Smiley there, like, I think around the arena Hardcore Brawls, they died, like, what, 10 years ago, more? Yeah. And... I thought it was very fun to see because you just don't see it anymore, you know? Mm. And um, I'm very happy that Smiley has a job. He kept a job. He's in Florida and WWE Developmental. Good. And, Mm -hmm. uh, like, he's helping them do uh, foundation stuff, like kind of rolling, protecting yourself, that kind of thing. So, you know, good job. Getting Everyone's getting paid. Good times. Happy days. I do kind of miss these. These kind of comedy matches, but not... I don't know. I like, I like them in WWE, but when they brought them over to WCW, they just didn't know how to do them. The announcers didn't sell them properly, and they're actually they are kind of hard to to pull off. This you watch something like this, and you do kind of get some respect for like a Crash Holly or something. And Terry Funk knows how to just brawl. He knows how to just do hardcore. But in terms of like structuring these comedic beats, he doesn't quite get it, and Russo doesn't quite get it. So. As much as I love the 24-7 stuff in WWE, it just really never clicked in WCW. It, it also helps with WWE, though, you mentioned the announcers, that you had Jim Ross and The King kind of selling it. Whereas here you got Shivani, who's cool, and Hudson and Madden, but Hudson and Madden are a different type of color team than the, the King Jerry Lawler. Like, Jerry Lawler was able to either be childish or immature and go along with the joke, whereas these two guys, it didn't really, didn't really click. Following all that mess, uh, the announcers must talk about the gravity of Canyon breaking his neck and David Flair turning on his own father. Uh, Madden explains that Rick was a bad dad, but that Russo is David Flair's father now. We go backstage where Team Package is walking to the ring. Flair tells Lex that he's going to go out on his own because this is a family issue. Rick Flair comes out, and the Nature Boy is carrying replicas of both the NWA and WCW titles. Flair then puts over his extensive history in St. Louis, including winning the NWA title there. In the year 1978, Terry Funk told me if I wanted to be a star in this business, I had to get to St. Louis on Friday night. He did. You know what I'm talking about. I had to be at the keel or the arena. I had to be live at the chase. I had to be in St. Louis if I wanted to be a star. Hudson then offhandedly mentions that Flair and Jarrett will face each other at the next pay-per-view. Flair never mentioned this. It was never followed up on. This is the first time it was mentioned on the show. 
So back to the promo at hand, Flair explains that all of his accomplishments meant nothing the moment that his son turned his back on him. Rick then calls out David and says he's not mad, but he demands an apology. Now, before we go any further, because this segment certainly takes its twists and turns, what do we think of Rick up to this point? I was of two minds, because Rick cut a great promo about his history, and he brought the belts and everything, but it didn't necessarily seem like it was relevant at all (laughs) to the situation at hand. I disagree, Brian, man. I think... I don't know how much of this was planned or how much of this is just Nate, but it plays into this actual story that they're telling, that Rick is kind of this absentee dad who puts wrestling above his family because he comes out and the first two or three minutes of this promo is all about his history and all about St. Louis and some of the greats and, and the crowd is into it. And he's not really talking about David that much. And then finally at the end, he gets to David. So it, In that sense, I I can kind of see what you're talking about, but it plays into the story that Rick came out and his first concern wasn't his son hanging out with Vince Russo. It was, oh, it's good to be back in St. Louis and the history, and if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, and Terry Funk told me to get on that bus, and I did it. Woo! By the way, how's my son? (laughs) You're giving Russo so much credit, but I love it. Yes, we should go with that. I, I love these Ric Flair promos as well. He's just, uh, you can tell he's been wrestling for the last three decades, just going from history and lineage and tradition. And that's what Russo's trying to break down as well and build up, you know, the, the future, which is David Flair. <laughs> <laughs> so David comes out with Daphne and Vince Russo. Oh, he got his red cheeks. Russo says that last night he spit in the face of tradition and then reads off a list of all the wrestling legends whose face he spit in. I made a list of the people whose faces I spit in. Dory Funk Jr., Dick DeBruza, Jack Briscoe, Kanitsky, DiBiase, Murdoch, Brody, Dusty Rhodes, and St. Louis's own Sam Mushnick. Russo calls himself the father Rick never was and then hugs David. Rick says that he warned David that if he wanted to become a wrestler, the promoters would try to split the two of them up. David says that he's mad at Rick, but Rick comes back and says they aren't going to air their grievances on television. Vince then announces that Rick will face David at the next pay-per-view, presumably forgetting about the title match he booked Flair in last week. Rick ignores Russo and tells David that he needs to start back at the bottom and earn his spot in the business. This promo then took an extremely weird left turn (laughs) as Rick pulls out his cell phone and says that if David apologizes, he will call Vince McMahon and tell him to put him on Raw next week. (laughs) What was this all about? There's a cell phone. I'm going to call Vince McMahon right now, brother. I haven't burned a bridge. This guy's burned a bridge. I'll call McMahon right now, and you'll be on Raw next Monday night. That's the most WCW thing. Let's talk about Vince and Raw. There's the big leagues. I'll get you there, son. That's it. We'll see you at the Alamo. So this actually got a pop, and you know what? It might have actually helped Nitro regain the lead in the ratings had David Flair gone on to Raw. (laughs) (laughs) By dropping Raw's by three points. So David knows a good deal when he sees one, and he gives his dad a hug. However, this is all just a swerve as David then knocks out his father with a Statue of Liberty replica from behind. Russo gets on the mic and repeats that it's Flair versus Flair at the Great American Bash. David's shortcomings aside, I actually thought this was a pretty good soap opera segment. I really like this, man. Like, I, I, 
outside of Flair, David Flair's promo, like you said, which, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time with my nieces recently, and I think, like, my youngest niece, she's not even three, but she could cut a better promo <laughs> than David Flair because all he did was, I'm mad at you, Dad, and my niece, when she says, I'm mad at you, Uncle Nate, and I'm like, why? Because you were mean to me, and that is why I am mad at you right now. That's a more logical and compelling promo than what we got from young David Flair here. But I did enjoy Rick and Russo going back and forth. I thought that the Vince McMahon turn was was weird, and the, and even weirder that Rick said, you can go on Raw and be a big star. Like, you can't be a star in WCW. Like, he, the, the Freudian slip there was amazing. Uh, but I, I liked it. I, I liked that, you know, they were kind of playing up to this idea of Rick not being the father he should have to David and Vince, as terrible as he is, giving him the love that he needs. And I, I, I don't look forward to seeing where this is going, Brian, man. But for this one segment in isolation, I dug it. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say, um, I thought Rick was absolutely amazing in this segment. His promo was brilliant. Uh, absolutely no one cuts a promo like Rick at all. But in saying that, I thought that the writing was just all over the place. Like, Flair's promo, while it was great, it had absolutely nothing to do really with what came after. And then it just kind of went back and forth and talking about Vince and Raw. And, and of course, uh, you know, much like most of the things that Russo writes in books, it's not just telling a simple plot. It all just leads up to a swerve. And that's what kind of got, got me at the end. I was just like, oh, really? Again? You know, so like we're going to have David heel turn and then and then turn face and then turn heel again, all all in the space of a single segment. Like, why couldn't this be done over the course of a month? I have to say, like, even though I agree completely, like uh, we'll have to agree to agree on this. Um, <laughs> like, you know, keep him away from the booking sheets. But like Russo, tremendous promo. Yes, guy. Absolutely. Like he's got. He's such a charismatic, smarmy heel. Like, I loved how he just started listing off the names of the traditionalists that he spit upon. That's awesome. And David Flair with his best uh, Jeff Farmer, Jumpin' Jeff <laughs> impression. <laughs> I'm mad at you, Rick. You turned the tables on me. And I'm mad now. It's awesome. <laughs> So backstage, Luger is trying to talk some sense into Rick, but Flair says that he's had it with the business, and he drives off in a limo. <laughs> well, th this was funny to me, A, because they're trying to make me believe that this is the thing that pushes Ric Flair away, but B, like, it's hard to be the angry guy storming off in a limo, <laughs> because, like, it's one thing if Rick was actually driving himself, and you see him peel out of the driveway, but he's like, I'm mad. Could you get the door for me? Like, thank you. I'm, I'm not coming back anymore. You know, it's like it, it, I get what they were what they were doing here, but it it just made me chuckle that Ric Flair is storming off in the back of a limousine. So speaking of Lex Luger, the Total Packages music plays, and out comes Chuck Palumbo, who made his debut at Slamboree. Main event, Chuck Palumbo. Palumbo is doing a total package knockoff gimmick. Palumbo fully commits to the Luger gimmick by cutting a shitty promo. You're lucky Uke isn't here. I am the main event. Chuck Palumbo. Six foot five. 280 pounds. Three. Not four. Three percent body fat, baby. Out comes Luger with Liz, who goes right after the imitator. Luger lands his trademark immobile clotheslines, 
RMB security then comes out and grabs Liz. Luger attacks the security guys, but Palumbo attacks Luger from behind with a muscle flexor. RMB security then take Liz to the back as Palumbo <laughs> celebrates. I forgot that Chuck Palumbo was part of the, uh, the Natural Born Thrillers. Well, he's not yet, I guess. Uh, but I forgot that he was part of this company at the time. And so seeing him, I'm like, oh, yeah, Chuck Palumbo. I really like the Natural Born Thrillers. This, this might be good. And then he starts talking. So not only do we have Sean Stasiak uh, aping Mr. Perfect, but we've got Chuck Palumbo aping Lex Luger. And, and uh, my immediate thought was, if you're going to imitate somebody, why not imitate somebody that's hot and that's over right now? Like, why, why not imitate DDP or imitate Sting or imitate Terribalea, God forbid? But why not go for the best? <laughs> why not go for Lex Luger? <laughs> Just, you know, look at him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Chuck Palumbo. He's calling himself main event Chuck Palumbo. He, has he ever main evented? Uh, no, he has never even shown up in a main event segment. Has he been on the show main event? <laughs> <laughs> but I think he might have been in like the 2004 Royal Rumble, which was the last match on. So, you know, there you go. Um, also, when he started posing, the amount of people not looking at him was incredible. <laughs> It was amazing. Everyone just turned their head. And uh, there was no one coming down the ramp either. So, yeah. And, uh, wow, he is a black hole of charisma. It's awful. Um, just infinite sucking there. Really, yeah. Like, I can't think of the last time that I heard a promo where someone was this nervous and this wooden. And, like, he offered nothing. Like, he gave the fans no reason to love him or hate him. And, it's, and so what you're left with is just meh and blandness and that's the worst possible thing to be in wrestling so uh yeah this is going nowhere very very quickly boys i feel so bad for him because that looks like the zenith of his promo cutting ability just i i i don't have a personality i go to the gym and that's pretty great and shit you know uh, i mean it would get better because uh later on in the wwe he was rev him up motorcycle chuck palumbo <laughs> which was extremely over so he went from hawking lex luger to hawking biker taker well i mean though to be to be fair i mean he did develop quite a bit of personality with the whole billy and chuck thing but that's obviously so far in a different direction yeah yeah actually, there you go i forgot all about that <laughs> oh so backstage lex luger is being put into an ambulance in Russo's office, Vince tells Liz that she will wrestle Daphne tonight. If Liz wins, he will rip up her WCW contract and she can go back to Luger. Liz protests because she's never had a match before, but Russo tells her it's tough love. In the ring, Sean Stasiak cuts a cheap heat promo on Mark McGuire. Sorry, sorry, uh, who is this guy? I've... I have heard of this name maybe once or twice, but I don't know who he is. He's a baseball playing man. Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't notice him without his costume. <laughs> what, was he mates with Mister Perfect? Uh, no, I think it's just because they were in uh, St. Louis, and he was. Uh, had he broken the home run record, or was he about? To? I th yeah, the record was already broken because uh, Stasiak made the uh, reference to the court bat, uh, which also alluded to Sammy Sosa at the time. So yeah, Mark McGuire uh, was a home run hitting phenomenon who. We later found out, or most of us, I guess not most of us, a lot of us at the time suspected he was uh, being chemically enhanced, and it turns out he was, and uh, then he was disgraced, and then he wasn't, because I believe he is currently the hitting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, so he's uh, welcome back into baseball's good graces. 
Ah. Uh, second question to you, Jay. Is this Uh-oh. guy in the softball episode of The Simpsons? No, he's no? not. No? No, Ah, well, then I don't care no. about him. Yeah. Jose, <laughs> Jose Canseco was, though. Yeah, Jose Canseco, who was part of the Bash Brothers with Mark McGuire in Oakland. So, I guess by six degrees of Jose Canseco separation, Mark McGuire was a part of The Simpsons episode. Nice. There you go. And I think, uh, was it... Uh, Jose Canseco, who fought and dreamed, did he fight uh, Hong Man Choi? Yes, yes. Jose Canseco's uh, failed nice. MMA bid uh, against the, That's the awesome. giant Hong Man Choi, which <laughs> led to Jose Canseco getting. I wonder why Jose Canseco never got into wrestling because he is a fascinating athlete. Like I think he dated Madonna at one time. He's got a twin brother named Ozzy who looks just like him, which could set up some great twin magic angles. Like Jose Canseco <laughs> should have been a wrestler. Should have been a wrestler. He probably just saw Tank Abbott and go, I can't hang with him. Yeah. You missed this calling, Nate. So uh, this Mark McGuire promo brings out Sean's opponent, the artist formerly known as Hugh Morris, Captain Rection. Oh, God. Hugh G. Rection. Yes, last night at Slamboree, he debuted his new name, Hugh G. Rection. <laughs> However, Turner said, you can't make a guy a dick joke. <laughs> so they instantly had to change his name to Captain Rection the next day at TV. Why did someone not say this before he went out and yeah. got the promo? I mean, you know, like... I think they just thought it was a good idea, and he cut the promo the night before at Slamboree. Then Turner found out and said, you can't do that on television. And now he's Captain Rection the next night. Aww. <laughs> I love wrestling. Rection isn't alone. He's accompanied by Kurt Henning. These two, they just trade sloppy offense before Rection executes the ten punches in the corner. Miss Hancock then shows up with her notepad and is never seen again. And this was just the first of many run-ins in this segment. Henning then gets on the apron and in a swerve helps Stasiak avoid a, cur- a corner splash from Rection. Stasiak follows up with a fisherman suplex for the pin. <laughs> A lot, oh my god, so much more happens after this, but let's just say, what did we think of this match? It was shit, right? Yeah, I, I, I just have written down here, this is shite. <laughs> um, did you like uh, Kurt Hennig? He's wearing a cut-off tactile neck. <laughs> yeah? The, the world's first breathable tactical garment. <laughs> and uh, oh. Miss Hancock as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, she's got a thing with big, useless, roidy blonde men. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what my, the thing that stood out to me the most on this, and I know it, it's not actually something that's a fault of WCW, it's more uh, the, the network, because the dub music that they have for General Rection, or Captain Rection, I don't want to misquote the man's rank, uh, for Captain <laughs> Rection, it, all it is is like a drum track. It's like there's no bass, there's no fife, there's no other instrument but a drum, and it, like, I I, I just didn't like the didn't like the track. Uh, I know it's not WCW's fault, but uh, considering that they made me sit through a segment involving Sean Stasiak and Hugh Rection, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on their ledger. It's weird that WWE don't pay for so many themes for the network. Like they didn't pay for Bischoff's theme or DDP's ripoff of "Smells Like Teen Spirit." They made their <laughs> own ripoff. Sounds a bit like Jarrett's theme or Chronic Song or Jeff Jarrett's. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like maybe they just don't want to give Jimmy Hart a bean. You know. I think that's it because obviously they got the money. They had them, they had enough money to pay the Jerry Lee Lewis estate for that damn Great Balls of Fire song, but we can't cut a check to to lovable Jimmy Hart for all of his great WCW music. It, it, it's not right. 
The Wolfpack music hits, and Kevin Nash then shuffles his way down to the ring and jackknifes Sean Stasiak. <laughs> Nash takes the mic and says that he is one of the people who helped Russo get a job in WCW and calls him out. Instead of Russo, the Filthy Animals music starts playing, and out comes Billy Kidman, Tori, Rey Mysterio, and Conan. Kidman says that Nash is the low man on the scrotum pole, and that Russo is too busy to deal with him. Nash can't be bothered to take any of this seriously. He's just making silly faces as the Filthy Animals charge the ring. The Filthy Animals then beat down on Nash until F-U-N-B Terry Bollea makes his way down. Of course, the three younger men quickly run out of the ring. Nash then challenges the filthy animals to face he and Hogan in a street fight tonight. Hogan gets the mic and tries so very hard to sound cool by saying, I'm going to go backstage, take a Bischoff, wipe my Russo, and then beat the shit out of you. (laughs) (laughs) This is just like ADD television you know like it's 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 just jumping from one thing to the next and it doesn't make any sense and it's difficult to follow and uh honestly like i i found watching this like just tiring you know two hours isn't enough you need the three hour nitros (laughs) oh jesus (laughs) but i I don't understand like with kidman with stasiak and palumbo like i love how wcw are trying so hard to make new stars with such talentless youngsters (laughs) and in general burying them you know just you know you've like all these kind of uh you know older popular wrestlers coming out and they're just saying like you suck and you're never going to be a big guy, and you're never ne- never going to be a top guy, and I'm going to be on top forever. Uh, fuck all of you. Well, <laughs> yeah, cheers. I've, I've already gotten paid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. Like with with this whole angle is. It really didn't benefit the younger guys. And yes, there's varying degrees of talent within the new blood, but there's a couple guys that you could have made into new stars, and I don't think they ever really knew how to do that. The other thing I will say in, in terms of giving this segment credit, because there was a lot of uh, a lot of nonsense going on, but there were two shining uh, pieces of brilliance here, Brian Man. Number one is uh, the appearance of our buddy State Wolf <laughs> Kevin Nash. I will never say a bad word about that man, at least not for, t- at least not for two more episodes. Keep fighting a good fight, brother. Uh, and the <laughs> second thing is, I know we, like, I see Conan on uh, Impact now in 2017, but I forget how good these promos were when they were fresh. You know what I mean? Like, now, not seeing, you know, 17 years of Conan cutting a very similar promo, but back when it was actually fresh, and the crowd actually got into it. It was one of the few things in this segment that the crowd responded to was Conan telling Kevin Nash that uh, he was going to toss his salad and peel his potato. <laughs> I find it just so weird watching WCW, just because I'm you know, very used to watching WWE, like with Flair and with the commentator Hudson there and Hulk Hogan. Like everyone flubs their lines. You know, and they have to go back over themselves. It's, it's weird because WWE is highly scripted and polished. And like you never hear Michael Cole fuck up. Back from break, Bischoff and Kimberly enter to join commentary for the stretcher match. Eric promises that DDP will sign Kim's divorce papers as Paige makes his entrance. Awesome then comes to the ring carrying a stretcher. Things start with DDP in charge, brawling with Awesome around the ring. These two get back in the ring and Awesome gets heat before Paige hits a urinage. 
Kim gets on the apron and distracts DDP with her divorce papers, but Paige tears them up. This distraction allows Awesome to get a chair and beat the piss out of Paige. Awesome then sets up a table and powerbombs Paige through it. With Paige unconscious, Bischoff puts a pin in DDP's hand and makes him sign the divorce papers... Really don't think that would hold up in a court of law. (laughs) DDP then gets placed on the stretcher and is wheeled up the ramp by the refs and the EMTs, but Charles Robinson makes sure to stop and call for the bell, making Mike Awesome the winner. This continues a really impressive push for Mike Awesome, and uh, I thought this actually made him look pretty good, and by the standards of wrestling on this show, this this was not bad. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I thought that this was the best match to uh, this this point anyway. Awesome is not that bad. Um, you know, like, I don't think he's ever, you, you know, he was ever going to be cutting great promos or being a top guy, but, you know, he's a solid upper mid card guy. He can kind of, you know, flirt with the top guys every now and again. <laughs> um, but, you know, does he need to do an awesome bomb through a table in every single match? <laughs> can he not? Build up to it and do it once every couple of months. <laughs> She's watching this. I was like, "Wow, they hate wrestling." <laughs> That's it. Like, like Nitro hates wrestling. Like, there's so many distractions with like multiple guest commentators bringing stretcher to the ring, ripping up the divorce papers, using chairs, using tables, and uh, I was, you know, like Mike Awesome as well. Very kind of him to help the EMTs put. DDP on the stretcher and they wheel him away like so everything they can do to not have a straight wrestling match well I think it was uh, the episode where uh, Hulk Hogan tried to commit vehicular uh, homicide uh, when he was running after Kidman with the uh, with the Hummer and was it Scott Hudson Brian that actually came out and said this is WCW we don't wrestle here we fight (laughs) (laughs) they're telling you what, what, what it's all about so yeah this this was like it wasn't a, a great match, but it certainly is by the standards of this show, uh, one of the better segments. I am still a fan of Mike Awesome. I, I, it's a shame what's going to happen to him later on. You know, you talk about him flirting with top guys. Pretty soon he's going to be flirting with uh, overweight women, uh, which is <laughs> oh, not cool. Uh, Mike Awesome. <laughs> I mean, not, not that there's anything not cool with overweight women, uh, but now, see now now you got me wrapped up in your shenanigans, Vince Russo. Damn you! Uh, but. The best part of this segment to me, and it's something I'd forgotten about until watching this episode, was It's All About Me, Kimberly Page. And I really like this character, and like she's not, you know, Ric Flair on the mic, but she doesn't have to be. Like the the role of this woman that has been scorned by DDP, or at least scorned in her mind, and now has aligned with with his enemies, I, I really like her portrayal of this, at least in this episode. Are Kimberly and Bischoff fucking? Are these characters having sex? I can't tell. It's very weird the way they're playing it. I think there's there's a bit of wife swappy swappy though, isn't there? With DDP and his <laughs> wife and Bischoff and his wife. Well, that was in real life, wasn't it? <laughs> Bischoff worked out really well for him. Like kayfabe or shoot? <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean shoot. Yes, yeah. I, I didn't want you to pick up on that. <laughs> uh, I um, I just have to say, you know, as of. As a person who didn't get to watch WCW very often, uh, I could not take my eyes off Kimberly Page. She is a magnificent-looking creature. Oh, my goodness. 
Backstage, Vince Russo finds Scott Steiner making out with two women and asks Big Papa Pump to talk some sense into Kevin Nash. Steiner creeps closer to a babyface turn by refusing to help Vince and threatening to break his arm off. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now, you that ass, put your hands on me again. I'm going to break your freaking arms. After the break, Vince Russo is then seen talking with Tank Abbott. Mean Gene chats with... Jeff Jarrett for the second time tonight. Uh, do you think these guys have just been hanging out for the last hour, or did Jeff Jarrett walk away and come back to it <laughs> later in the show? <laughs> you have to deposit all those dimes. That's it. <laughs> Selling Gene some uh, gold, lads. That's what he's doing. Jarrett says he'll smack Sting around like a pinata with or without Bischoff's help. He then wraps up by calling Okerlund a Jurassic slap ass. <laughs> does, what does uh, hang on, th- this uh, slap nuts is is that is that like calling someone a wanker? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Or like is, a belly boxer. Or is it like you're <laughs> slapping your gums or that kind of thing? You know, you're full of, you know. Well, you know, if you're into it, you could do that as well. <laughs> and slap ass is more of a you sexual harassment. De- <laughs> A deviant, you know, which I think is hilarious to call um, Mean Gene because he's a bit of a ODL <laughs> fecker. Maybe that should have that should have been Gene's gimmick. Like at the end of every interview, he just slaps the uh, interviews interviewees uh, ass and is like, you know, good good job, good job. And he's just like, why why are you touching my ass, Mean Gene Oakland? It's, it's what I do, baby. It's my gimmick. So in the arena, Scott Steiner and his freaks come out for a promo. Scott brags about his victory at Slamboree and the three-way he had afterwards with his freaks. Now my freaks have always told me size does matter and I'm the biggest of them all. So as I took my two ladies up to the mountaintop and they found Nirvana and just as they were about to reach the summit, they both said to me, Oh God, oh God. And they called me the daddy. That's the big bad booty daddy. I think it's fair to say that he spent twice as much time describing this fuck sesh as he did putting over his title defense. To be fair, wouldn't you? Like, if all things all things being equal, Brian, man. <laughs> I mean, nothing they're doing on the show is memorable, so why not? Tank <laughs> Abbott then jumps Scott Steiner from behind with a low blow before dropping him with a knockout punch. Honestly, I think this would have been a great use for of Tank if this was the last we saw of him tonight, but we would see more later on. If this was just setting up a feud that would culminate at the next pay-per-view, I didn't hate this. It's it goes back to um it goes back to something we've said with Tank a lot, Brian man. Like they they don't know how to use him. And then the few times they stumble upon something that's really effective, they find a way to undermine it either the next week or in this case on the very same show. Uh, yeah, you know, I have to say, uh, I always felt like find Big Papa Pump. He's very entertaining, and I love watching him cut cut promos. Wrestling, I can do, you know, with or uh, 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 without, but um, his promos are absolute magic, and you know, pretty much like uh, you know, like there's there's no one else like him out there so anytime he's talking once he's not talking about his dick then I'm generally happy <laughs> that's like 30% of the time <laughs> yeah pretty much and uh, yeah friends actor Tank Abbott did you like those punches as well he 
missed by about by a country mile. Like when did UFC stop being kind of strongman, kind of dumb fighters, and actually get into more of a sport? It was like 2000, 2001 maybe. Oh, so Tank Abbott was ahead of the curve. Ahead <laughs> <laughs> of the curve. I don't think that's something he's heard much <laughs> in his life. Uh, so you guys missed the greatness of the Tank Abbott-Big Al feud. Yes, I have no idea what this feud is. Wait, wait, there's a Big Al, then who's Big T? <laughs> <laughs> Big T! Yeah, Big T is Ahmed Johnson, who is wonderful, and I, I really miss him on these episodes, Brian. We don't get as much Big T as we used to, uh, but Big Al was Tank Abbott's bodyguard, question mark, and they had a uh, brief feud. Why would Tank Abbott need a bodyguard? <laughs> Very good question. It's for other people's safety, Steve. <laughs> That's a really good point. So we are back with Mean Gene, who is now interviewing Sting. Sting goes from 0 to 60 and starts yelling about football. I knew it was just going to be a matter of time before all of you would make a stupid mistake and you made it tonight by putting the gold up for grabs. Guess what? Your fearless leader, Jeff Jarrett, is going to drop the ball tonight. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to run with it and I'm going to score a touchdown. This was a, a rare swing and a miss for me with the Stinger. I usually like this guy's promos, but this one just did not work on me. It's just because you're not a fan of uh, American football, Brian, man. Like, I was completely invested in this thing. You know, he said that uh, Jarrett was going to drop the ball, which is a fumble, and Sting was going to pick the ball up, run with it, and score. So it, it's a very clear analogy that one Steve Borden was saying, and I, I, I enjoyed this promo very much, Brian. I don't, I don't know what you're seeing here. I absolutely love how in kayfabe this, you know, crow uh, – super baby face who hides up in the rafters sits up there and watches NFL and <laughs> things like that <laughs> you know you know kind of uh ruins it a bit for me um but I honestly thought thought this promo was a bit meh it was just him kind of shouting really you know and the sound engineer having to turn down his volume <laughs> blowing out his eardrums oh see now again like we need the uh, unlimited Access when the Millionaires Club is on the RV. Now we need somebody up in Sting's man cave, up in the rafters. He's probably got like a great fridge stocked with all the finest beers from around the world, and <laughs> you know, he's, he's got got like a nice little lazy boy recliner and just thing. Every now and then, Shivani goes up there and watches Braves games with him. He like shows up two hours early to every Nitro just to like to hang up posters of cars and like hot babes. <laughs> 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 so uh you you know ask and you shall receive big t makes his big return in this next match it is a multi-team <laughs> elimination match featuring chronic the mamalukes the harris boys and harlem heat 2000 chronic comes out wearing the tag titles but the announcers explain that chronic stole the belts from buff and shane after counting their own pinfalls at the pay-per-view Tony sums up the situation by saying, um, I guess these guys aren't the champions. Tony follows this up by promising that they will cut backstage if Scott Steiner finds Tank Abbott. God forbid we have to watch any of this match. <laughs> all of this, so we got, I guess, four teams in the ring. They're all ganging up on Chronic. And then Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas come out and join commentary. 
True to Tony's word, we then cut backstage to find Scott Steiner throwing tables around. Hold oh, on a second. Scott Steiner is on the prowl for Vince Russo. Russo, here's my advice for you. Get on the first bus out of town. Scott Steiner's on a rampage. Not that this match mattered, though, because Buff is just putting himself over on commentary, and everyone is ignoring what's happening in the ring. They then start talking about David Flair as Big Vito hits an elbow drop from the top rope onto Brian Clark, but all of the New Blood teams then fight over who should get the pin. Big T gets winded and just walks out of the ring to catch his breath on the ramp for a while. (laughs) In all of the confusion, Clark somehow recovers and pins Big Vito after an F5. This eliminates the Mamelukes. Big T gets back in the ring and trips on the middle rope coming back in. (laughs) Adam somehow pins one of the Harris boys, eliminating that team. Bagwell and Shane then run in, but Chronic knocks them out. Stevie Ray, for no reason, nails Big T with a slapjack and walks out of the match. We then cut to Buffett ringside, celebrating as he has reclaimed one of the tag title belts. Back in the ring, a double chokeslam by Chronic onto Big T, followed by a pin. Let's pause here for a second, because as fucking confusing as all of that was, this segment was only halfway over. This was so goddamn... Vince Russo should not be allowed to book segments involving more than three people. (laughs) My head is spinning. (laughs) This was a fucking mess. Um, Just so much shit going on, and I don't think I've watched a match in recent memory with so many terrible workers in it. <laughs> I mean, like, the fucking uh, Harris Brothers, I don't even really know these guys. Uh, oh, they're part of the SS. <laughs> uh, Harlem Heat, like, Stevie Ray is terrible, and Big Big T, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> he was useless in, like, 97. Jesus Christ, like, fucking capital T over here, the size of him, he was enormous. <laughs> he was in bits. And uh, yeah, and just like a million things happened, it was hard to to, to follow. There were pins that were happening that I missed, and uh, I just like. So is this normal for 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 like this show? Like 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 do Nitro give us a match like this every single week, or is this you know rare? Because it was chaos. This is par for the course, though. I think it's mm-hmm. it's very odd, like a. Well, first of all, three members of Harlem Heat come out, and none of them are Booker T. <laughs> How dare you? But, like, like Brian, you did a great job uh, recapping that, and I watched this show specifically for the pay-per-view, and listening back, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, and that's, that's WCW 2000. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, I love the idea that uh, Ahmed Johnson's WCW name should have been Capital T, because that, that sounds cooler than Big T. Uh, <laughs> but the second thing is, I thought we were getting away from these matches. You know, the, the tag division at this point is not good. You know, when you've got the Harris boys as top contenders, when you've got the worst version of Harlem Heat as top contenders, when you've got the Mama Lukes as maybe the best workers in the match, it's not a good sign. Uh, so no, I was I wasn't a fan of this. Uh, Buff and Shane on commentary didn't add anything to this segment. And the thing I was really worried about, Brian, coming out of this, is this the on-screen dissolution of Harlem Heat 2000? For us, yes. We all shit on Big T, but this was maybe the least offensive outing he's had this entire year. <laughs> oh wow. This was actually not uh, the breakup of Harlem Heat 2000. I think Stevie hit Big T by mistake legitimately and was not supposed to actually do that because they would team (laughs) together in a handicap match against Terry Funk the next night on Thunder. 
but no, uh, after this, Ahmed Johnson works a couple of uh, house shows for the company and then is cut in, uh, in August. So this is the last we're going to be seeing of Big T, Nate. Um, in retrospect, what, how are you going to remember this man? What was your favorite Big T moment? Yeah, that, see, now I feel like at the end of the show, we should just have like a uh, in memoriam like they do at the Oscars and, and play that sad Sarah McLaughlin <laughs> music and just show the, the, great, the greatest hits of uh, Big T. Like, I will remember you. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, <laughs> what that joke song that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you won't remember me I think the the best thing about Big T uh, besides the many gifable moments that uh, we've seen throughout his run here in WCW 2000 was his fashion sense whether you talk about the pink FUBU jumpsuit or, or just these too tight black shirts uh, the the earrings, the the whole aesthetic of Big T, and of course his uh, choice of beverages. Because I was going to say, you uh, remember his fashion. I remember his his choice of of beverages. Yes, because I I don't know if you guys caught this episode, but on one episode of Nitro, Big T's just walking backstage with Stevie Ray, and he is drinking a full gallon of milk straight out of the out of the, out of the bottle. <laughs> That's so fucking carny. <laughs> So, uh, believe it or not, this segment was only halfway over. Uh, it continues <laughs> as Shane and Buff are celebrating on the ramp. They've got their title back. Suddenly, Scott Steiner ro- mows them down with clotheslines. Steiner enters the ring and suplexes Big Cash. Honestly, like a legitimately awesome thing to say. And he knows sells it, which is pretty cool. Scott gets a mic and demands Russo sends out Tank. We then cut back to the entrance ramp to show that Chronic have stolen the belts back now. Steiner takes over the show and says that he is not leaving the ring until Tank comes out. He then insinuates that Tank is giving Russo a toothless blowjob backstage. Come on, Tank! Stop coming Russo in the back and get your ass out here! Coming Russo in the back? Out. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I really didn't think I was going to hear uh, talk of uh, people giving you know someone a beach backstage. <laughs> uh, uh, it's pretty fucking gross. Yeah, this was the uh, the Monty Python, and now it's time for something completely different <laughs> moment because uh, this this like the next two or three minutes of this program are uh, are, are an experience, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Another point really is that uh, it's not really the move of a babyface to come out and just hold up the the show, you know. Like normally, that's a very heelish. He tactic. was a babyface. He pretty much was turning face in this show, right? Uh, I don't think he's a hundred percent. Like he doesn't a hundred percent officially turn heel until like the end of July. Okay, but he's in that transition right now. He's such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't like. A baby, you can't have him as a baby face. Like, it doesn't work, you know? Like, he's just talking... Man, he did an impression about uh, the the three-way that he had after after (laughs) going home. Like, it's that's not a baby face thing. Like, no one wants to hear that, mate. (laughs) This is the naughties, Jay. So, back from break, Steiner is still in the ring waiting for Tank, and Goldberg's music starts to play. This crowd loses their shit thinking Goldberg is finally back. We cut backstage only to find Tank Abbott doing a parody of the Goldberg entrance, walking to the (laughs) ring surrounded by R&B security. Abbott tries his very best to do Goldberg's entrance, but he keeps flinching and missing his pyro cues. 
In the ring, Abbott gets a belly-to-belly suplex, and the two men trade punches. This audience is ignoring the match and just chanting Goldberg the entire time. Scott Steiner's brother, Rick, then makes his big return, running in from the crowd. Rick pulls Scott off of Tank and talks some sense into his brother. However, this is a Russo show, and it's been four minutes since someone turned on somebody. (laughs) So Rick kicks Scott in the ass. Rick then holds Scott so Tank can punch him. Rick and Tank beat up Scott as Tony plainly states that he doesn't understand this show anymore. (laughs) Brothers attacking brothers! Sons turning on fathers! People taking the Oh man! So first of all, shout out to Rick Steiner for already stealing Mean Gene's new gimmick of uh, hitting people in the ass. Uh, <laughs> second of all, uh, I just love the fact that you have to constantly say in these recaps R and B security because every time you do, like I've got this mental image of uh, Russo security guards surrounding like New Edition or <laughs> James Brown, like or Aretha Franklin. Uh, but then third, we talked about. Uh, how there is a lot of stuff going on in the show. And I think uh, V1 mentioned that a lot of these things would be okay if they were spaced out. And this Tank Abbott thing, if we had just left this show with Tank Abbott laying Scott Steiner out and then we're like, okay, how is Steiner going to respond? I can't wait to see what happens next week. That's one thing. But you gave me everything in one episode. And what should have been a strong night for Tank ends up making him look like a fool. Yeah, totally. Uh, he he definitely left this show worse than he than he uh, uh, came into it. The fans left this show worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned with some of these Russo things how if this was spread out over the course of a couple weeks, it might work. And let's just take the fact that Tank has clearly uh, set up Pyro. He has blocked this entrance with the security (laughs) guards was he just going to do this regardless of what was going to happen because he wasn't booked on this show until russo told him to attack steiner and then steiner called him out which is also unplanned so was was tank tank just had this in his back pocket the whole time he's hoping somebody calls him out like every arena he's like oh hope it's tonight hope it's tonight guys this could be it and then nobody calls him out so like you just see this shot of tank and the security team walking dejectedly back home (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's got that friend's money, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) So backstage, Russo watches the previous segment and says, this is what happens when you cross the boss. Russo tells Elizabeth it's time for her match before speaking to a mystery person and telling them to be on standby. Now we have uh, Miss Elizabeth having her first ever wrestling match with Daphne. Liz slaps Daphne and chokes her in the corner. This leads to another return with Medusa entering the ring and attacking Liz. This is followed by yet another return as Mona comes out and attacks Medusa. Mona and Medusa then have a match of their own. We're forgetting how this segment began. Until Liz comes in and hits Medusa with the chair. R&B security come out and haul off Liz. I'm happy to have Mona, the future Molly Holly back, but much like Big T, Nate, this is the last time we will be seeing her. Man, like this. First of all, shout out to uh, Miss Elizabeth for the uh, Dudley Boys Ladies <laughs> Collection uh, ensemble <laughs> that, that that she was wearing. I thought that was, that was a good look, and, and shout out to Russo for picking that out for her. But I remember this segment vividly, and I don't know if it's a Medusa thing because the last time I had this feeling was uh when she dressed up as Leparque on that one episode. Uh but I remember this because A you had Medusa and Mona return, but also the chair shot that Elizabeth gives it like you described it very professionally and very smoothly. 
But they spent a good 45 seconds to a minute setting up this chair shot with Elizabeth skulking around the ring. And once she gets in the ring, Medusa has to position herself so it's believable that she didn't see this woman in camouflage. Maybe that's why she didn't see her, because she was camouflaged, uh, walking around her to, to, to hit her with this chair. But yeah, uh, not a good segment, although I was glad to see uh, Mona one last time, and it's, it's always nice to see Medusa. Yeah, uh, I was kind of shocked that uh, WCW would give away the very first match from Liz uh, on TV with no build-up at all. Like, why couldn't Russo just say, next week you're going to have your first ever match, and then they can plug it? It's uh, it's it's very It's very sad stuff, you know? Like, I'm... I'm very happy to see Molly, Holly, Mona. Like, I'm, I'm sad about the general low-rent presentation of Miss Elizabeth. Like, uh, she's shown as a housewife here, like, as opposed to the first lady of wrestling, you know, in the <laughs> WWF, classy, elegant, in extravagant, expensive dresses, you know. And here she's just, you know, Lex's bird, you know, yeah. some 40-year-old woman, you know. Well, I actually, I looked it up, and this was her first match with a woman. The previous year, Lex Luger had forced her to face Ming, uh, on on an episode of Nitro, <laughs> holy shit! With his big uh, golden thumb. <laughs> What's the deal with uh, WCW and the the guy ringing the bell? That arsehole. He it was about forty seconds long. Yeah. it's like a fucking train crossing. TNA used to do. <laughs> it's like a train crossing. <laughs> well, he was paid per ring, so that's why he was. <laughs> So, F-U-N-B Hulk Hogan makes his way out as Tony says that you need a scorecard to keep track of tonight's show. The announcers go out of their way to tell you these guys are not washed up as a bloated Kevin Nash comes out trying to hide his gut by wrestling in a (laughs) t-shirt. Was that a sarcastic comment? (laughs) You're not washed up. Kidman and the Filthy Animals come out before summoning Mike Awesome. So, uh... This now means this is a four-on-two street fight, and this also means it is time for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Now, the Hogan Bump Challenge is something we do here on the show. Whenever Hulk Hogan has a match, we all take wagers on how many bumps we think he will take during this match. Since you guys are the guests today, how many bumps do you think Hulk Hogan will take during this street fight? I reckon it's binary here, so it's either zero or one, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Give me four. You know, I let give Hogan a, you know, a bit of a... uh, A rub. Leeway. (laughs) I will not rub Hulk Hogan, I'll have you know. I'll go for one. There you go. Okay, I'm going to go by, you know, kind of the standards we've set. Uh, they're not high for Hulk Hogan. But again, this is Terry Bollea. And as we've seen the last few weeks, Brian, man, Terry Bollea has got his working boots on. We've got Mike Awesome in here. He, he typically bumps for the big guy. Uh, but it is a tag match. So I'm going to temper my, uh, my guess. I'm going to wager that uh, Terry Bollea takes three bumps. And I think Jay was right, thinking binary. I'm going to say he doesn't take a single fucking bump in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this match then becomes five on two as Juventud Guerrero also makes his return to WCW to join the heels. 
Nash ragdolls Mysterio across the ring. Hogan then all by himself chases Kidman, Conan, Ray, and Awesome to the back. In the ring, Hoovy lays out Nash with a drop kick. In the back, Horace Hogan jumps Mike Awesome as Hulk chases the filthy animals. Kidman and Ray then attack the Hulkster with baseball bats, but the immortal one falls forward. He does not take a bump off these baseball bat shots. The filthy animals then abduct the Hulkster, stuffing him into the trunk of a car and driving away. <laughs> Back in the ring, Nash powerbombs Hoovy. There's still room, though, for one more angle in this segment as we cut backstage to find the filthy animals speeding out of the arena. However, a Goldberg monster truck pulls up in front of the car, causing the heels to jump out and run away. Hulk Hogan didn't take a single fucking bump in this match. Nash actually did more work than he did. So, uh, so yeah, it's rare that I win. But there we go. Zero. Zero bumps from the Hulkster. <laughs> what a cunt. What the fuck was this entire fucking segment? Nothing was achieved here. It was unbelievable. I've, I've never seen... Uh, like you know, like five people being jumped out so badly. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like Nash just smashes everyone, and you know, Hoovy comes out, and all of the lads are like, "Oh my god, Hoovy's back! The juice is here!" And then he goes into the ring, and Nash is just like, "Nope!" It <laughs> just power bombs the shit out of him. He's buried. Everyone else runs away from this fifty-odd-year-old old man, and. uh yeah, everyone looks terrible except for Hogan and Nash. But he gets kidnapped as well. That's hilarious. That's a damsel in distress spot for Hulk Hogan. So, Brian, man, Goldberg doesn't return until that uh, show in the Georgia Dome, right? Correct, but I think in two weeks they say that they announce his return. So we're getting very close. We, we are teasing Goldberg. He's very uh, He's right around the corner. So we're so Goldberg showed up uh, in in theory. Goldberg showed up to drive his monster truck, uh, but then just you know didn't didn't feel like showing up the next week. That was my favorite thing is that on commentary the announcers kept saying who else could have been driving the monster truck? Not like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how cars work. Like anyone can get in this car. <laughs> I mean, no. To be fair though, if you had a a Jay Hunter mobile. And it, it ran into our studio and, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it took you out, Brian, man. I would naturally assume that Jay was the guy behind the wheel because it's got his face on the outside of the car. <laughs> it has his face on the Oh, I would assume that Jay is a shitty murderer if he's doing hit and runs in a car with his name on the side of it. Rampage Jackson did it. <laughs> Speaking of returns, we get the return of a Jimmy Barron road report featuring a... Uh, a payphone tutorial from a guy in a tie-dye NWO shirt. Dude, the restrooms are around the corner. No, dude, I've got to do my road report and I don't have any change. Dude, it's imperative that you use 1-800. Call ATT for collect calls. Now that's a plan, dude. Jimmy says that no town is ever the same after WCW goes there, which was certainly the truth for uh, their drawing ability in the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 um... Acting during this segment is some of the best. Oh, sorry, some of the worst acting I've seen since uh, Johnny uh, uh, Nitro in uh, Glow. Um, it was horrific. <laughs> Back from break, Hulk Hogan is shown getting out of the filthy animal's truck. The announcers all assume Goldberg was driving the truck because who else could it be? It could have been the Big Show. 
and his monster truck <laughs> with his wearing his dad's shirt. <laughs> pin it, pin it on his dad. <laughs> Main event time is Jeff Jarrett defends his world title against Sting. Jarrett jumps Sting before the bell, but Sting shrugs it off and whips Jeff into the corner. Sting misses a Stinger splash, but stops in time to avoid any damage. These two then brawl around the ring, and Sting suplexes Jarrett onto the ramp. Sting follows up with a dive from the top rope, but Jarrett moves. Jarrett then just beats the shit out of Sting with a chair, but no disqualification is called at any point. Sting comes back with a flying clothesline over the top rope into the ring. That was awesome. It looked incredible. It was a really awesome move. Almost made up for that promo. Jarrett gets Sting in a figure four leg lock, but Sting reverses it, but Jeff gets to the ropes. Sting then blocks a punch, hits a clothesline, two stinger splashes, and gets Jeff in the scorpion death lock. Out of nowhere, though, Vampiro breaks up through the ring and pulls Sting down. A fire extinguisher then goes off and smoke fills the ring. As the smoke clears, Vampiro drags Sting out of the hole, unconscious, covered in the mysterious red liquid. Jarrett then collects the pin as the crowd chants, bullshit. Uh, before we get to the post-match, because of course the segment is not over yet, what did we think? Uh, this was probably the best of the two actual matches on the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Jarrett. Uh, I, I, you know, like, I don't think he's awesome at anything, but he's just like a really good, solid wrestler. Doesn't, re- you know, usually have bad matches. Has good... Matches, he, you know, uh, never messes up, rarely botches. I think that Sting is one of the best babyfaces I've ever seen. Um, his his babyface fire is unbelievable, and he always gets the fans to pop. And, uh, and there's one thing I loved about this uh, match, actually. Both guys actually sell moves, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, this is the seventh uh, match on, on this show, and I think it's the first time I've seen a wrestler actually sell a body part. So, you know, for like that, <laughs> thumbs up, lads. Really well, well fucking done. Just when I was watching this match, Nash, Hogan, Flair, Sting, Luger, like WCW, like it's amazing how all of these massive names in the business managed to transfer none of their star power to other guys. How, that was it. All these new guys, you have these matches and nobody cares. And if they, you know, if Hogan does a job, everyone just laughs at Kidman. <laughs> I can't believe he got that. And that was it. You know, it's it's crazy. Like, is it that only WWF can make stars and they just steal, you know, pay for WWF stars? WCW made Goldberg and that's it, really. That's thing as well. DB. That's yeah, well, in, in terms of guys that they made, like Brian and I have talked about it, like Goldberg and Booker T are really the only two guys that are made in this in this time period. And it's funny because there was a way that you could have done this entire New Blood story, but have the younger guys actually get some momentum. But that didn't happen. And instead, we have a match with Jeff Jarrett as the leader of the New Blood. And that's nothing against Jarrett, because like you said, I think Jarrett is... Solid all across the board. I think, you know, he can do anything you ask him to do. I don't know if he should be your main event guy all the time, but he's certainly a solid hand. And putting him in here with Sting, it would like it, it had no cho- no choice but to be anything other than the best match on this show because, you know, you got two veterans. And so I, I dug the match, uh, the, the post-match stuff and the stuff with Vampiro, I, I could have done without. But again, if you're trying to make Vampiro... I think there was a better way to do that with a guy like Sting than they've, than they've shown over the past couple of weeks. 
After the match, Vampiro beats on Sting. The new blood then comes out to beat on Sting even more. This brings out Hogan and Nash to leisurely stroll to the ring. <laughs> All the young guys run into Nash's fist as Madden calls him the sexecutioner. Oh my god. Outside the ring, the Goldberg truck runs over a car, and the announcers tell us that this was Tank and Rick Steiner's car. So two guys that weren't aligned before this show are now carpooling together. <laughs> And uh, that's that's oh. the end of the show, guys. Um, <laughs> Nate, you and I, we've talked about how these Russo episodes have been a little bit better than we expected. The first one was shit, but ever since then, they they haven't been that bad. This was fucking terrible. This really was all downhill from the very first segment. Um, this was it, it's it's tough to find some things to defend uh, on this episode. Yeah, good gauge for me on how good or bad one of these episodes will be is. By, you know, looking at the time gauge at the bottom of the screen on the network and seeing how many dots are there. And the dots, you know, for those that don't have the network, represent matches. And so if there's a show where you've got, you know, five dots, I'm like, okay, that might be a good show. Three dots, that's that should be a pretty good show because assuming they're giving these matches time to breathe. But I hit the little dot thing and, and I saw like 15 dots on this <laughs> on this uh, marker for various starts and ends to segments, various matches. And I was like, we're going to be in for a long night, even though it's only two hours. And there was just way too much on this show. It felt like Russo had been on good behavior by Vince Russo standards for the previous couple of weeks. And now he's feeling he's feeling himself a little bit. He's got a little confidence. He's got a little bit of that New York swagger, Brian man. I'm sure you can identify with that. And now he's just like, I'm gonna give him the full Russo, and we got the full Russo tonight. And uh, I've I wasn't uh, I wasn't a fan of this episode. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I thought this show was an absolute mess. Uh, it was like you know, it, it was just jumping back and forth. It, it was absolutely jam packed full of shit basically uh and the pacing was so bad like so there were seven matches on this show and i think in the first like 90 minutes to you know there was maybe two matches and then the last 30 40 minutes it was just one half after the other there was no time to breathe there was no time to let things settle in and there was absolutely no building up for next week. Um, and of course, they have all these new young guys that they're trying to build up. And they're all just gormless idiot heels who can't do anything at all. And the wily old guys just beat them left, right and centre. And uh, yeah, honestly, I thought this show was difficult to, to watch. And I was absolutely shattered after watching it. Uh yeah, yeah. Russo, <laughs> you've done it again, mate. <laughs> I'll tell you, Steve, uh, I will keep it 2000. Uh, uh, enjoy that. Uh, I did. Yeah, it's, no, I felt very fast, easy watch. Watch it in one go, no problem. I thought it was a perfect cross-section of WCW. Includes Russo and David Flair, J-E-double-F, pushing Tank Abbott, a hijacking, multiple throwaway, needless step distraction matches, stretchers, tile matches, career contracts, divorce <laughs> papers, monster trucks, UFC fighters, <laughs> so many tribute acts. Palumbo <laughs> as Luger, Stasiak as Perfect, Tank Abbott as Goldberg, and Horace Hogan as his dad, or his uncle, is it? 
Um, Mexican vampire pulling a man crow through the ring. <laughs> Blood bats and David Arquette. Oh my god, so much fun being a passenger in this 104 minute car crash. Is amazing. It was just like five shut set of five. Isn't it? Isn't it absolutely amazing how positive you are when you when you just have to watch one? Yes. <laughs> Enjoy your slow death. Best of luck next well, week. <laughs> well, that was quite a bit more positive than I was expecting, and that actually serves as a perfect segue here to uh, this is where we do our silver lining, where we all have to go around and say one thing that unqualified we actually thought was really really great on the show. And uh, Jay, I feel like you already did yours. As a fan, like, it's horrific. Like, if you're watching at the time, you're pulling your hair out. But, you know, wait <laughs> 17 years and it'll be a lot more fun. Like, I don't envy you guys. Well, holy God, going through this every week. But, you know, dipping a toe, that's, that's how it's done. It's great. I think as a reviewer, it's a, so much fun. Bollocks. The best of bollocks. The best of bollocks. Oh, God. Silver lining. Uh, I'd probably have to say the silver lining for me was having a main event that was actually decent enough. Um, after, you know, some terrible matches and, and some matches that were more angled than actual matches, it, you know, it was nice to just have two good, solid wrestlers wrestling. Uh, unfortunately, the end kind of <laughs> fucked it up, but, you know, we just won't talk about that part. Hmm, uh, my silver lining, like, I, I enjoyed the uh, sting Jarrett match up until the end, uh, much like Steve. I I thought the Flair-Russo segment was good for what it was. I thought uh, It's All About Me, Kimberly Page, was, was pretty good. But, obviously, for me, the standout was the opening five minutes of this show with David Arquette and the New Blood and... Uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Hollywood. He's from Hollywood, and he's better than us, and uh, that's why that segment was better than all the other segments. Yeah, put that in your cone cob pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I gotta, I gotta uh, echo Nate a little bit there. Obviously, the Shiad app is, <laughs> is legendary in these parts. You know, uh, myself and Steve went to uh, Scott Steiner uh, inside the ropes. Did a night up with him in Belfast, and we told like uh, fans were coming and say hello. And so there was actually a group of uh, OSW fans in the in the front row. And Scott Steiner started talking about David Arquette, and it just kind of went quiet for a second. And then about twenty of them went, "Shut up!" <laughs> it was like the peak of my life. Right He's there. over. <laughs> He's over. Sorry. Go ahead. So, yes, yeah, so, so that's definitely my choice. A uh, little bit of uh, honorable mention for Big T. We got to pour one out for him. He is, uh, this is it for him, unfortunately. Yeah, Big T, Mona, all the, all the homies that won't be here anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but, guys, thank you so much for being here, uh, not just for taking the time to discuss this, but also for watching it, even though you had, uh, it sounds like, polar opposite reactions to the show. Thank you so much for, uh, for stopping by, guys. And uh, I had a really, oh, man, I had a really great time. And it's so awesome to be able to do something with you guys because you know i listen to the show it's awesome i love i love your uh, banter and going through wcw because no one else will <laughs> and yeah it's it's awesome to actually do something with you guys you know so thank you once again guys for stopping by and to the listeners thank you for completing another experiment with us uh if this is your first time listening which i'm sure there were a few uh, coming over from OSW. A full archive of this show is available at fightnetwork.com and liveaudiowrestling.com. 
And if you have feedback for us, you can send it over to keepit2000pod at gmail.com. And if you want more of me in your life, you can follow me at Brian Maxman all over the internet. And Nate, as always, let the people know where they can find you and give them that good word to hold them over until we're back again. Yes, well, again, I want to send a shout-out to Brother Hunter and uh, Brother V1 for joining us up here on the satellite this week. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Twitter at in the number 8 mozaik at Nate Mosaic, and uh, we can talk wrestling, we can talk sports. Uh, maybe if I'm in the right mood and I've had enough of this space juice, we can talk politics, uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But I think the way we need to leave this week is... On a positive note, and so I'm going to use the words of the legendary, at least uh, legendary in Ireland, I guess, uh, in the UK, the legendary Mark McCabe's Maniac 2000, and bring it back to our journey that we've had this week on WCW. Yeah, yeah, back in the house for the year 2000. Yeah, yeah, get funky, yeah. She's a tech, she's a tech, she's a maniac. She walked across the dance floor that night dressed to kill. She was a very sexy lady. She had to get a thrill. How did she get him? How did she know? In all the music, the beat, the tempo, she was all up for that night. But who knew? Miss Elizabeth was in for a fight.